The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to the Roto World Football Podcast. I am Matt Straub. Today I'm going to be joined by Pat Darty and Denny Carter to bring you a recap of the Super Bowl. I'll also be joined by Thor Nystrom to look ahead to some of the top storylines to watch for as draft season approaches. That is all coming up on the show in just a second. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Right now, I'm joined by Pat Darty and Denny Carter. We want to start by saying we're sad to hear of the loss of our former colleague, Chris Wessling. I only overlapped with Chris a little bit at Roto World, but I was looking back at some of my correspondence with him over email, and he was always kind and courteous to me, very welcoming to a, a newcomer at Roto World and always generous with his time and willing to help. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't usually get nervous on the podcast. I feel nervous right now because I want to say something like, profound about chris and like it's a weird word but he really he was like a profound person like he was very like a lot he was like mr life lessons and like hard-earned life lessons you started literally as a mailman and worked his way to the top like the football media profession just 
a crazy life and career arc. And it was, he was, he was just like the ultimate, like open to new experiences, but had so much life experience and like was just so generous with it. So the things you hear about Chris were like stuff like that, generous with his advice and time and like, you know, kind of like blunt and to the point, like not a superfluous person at all. And like, but he was the kind of person who made like those kind of incongruent, like personality traits, like fit perfectly. He was no nonsense, but like uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't offend you. He wouldn't hurt your feelings. Uh, he was just very no nonsense in the way he like, this could give you advice and teach you things. Like he taught me. So yeah, he, I would overlapped with him for two years at Rota World and he just taught me so much and just the word is really just so generous with his time and his knowledge. Cause he was, you know, 11 or 12 years older than me. He just had so much more knowledge than me, so much more football knowledge, so much more life knowledge. Cause yeah, he'd been all over kind of seen everything, done everything and was just so generous with it. And I'm just going to like kind of keep rambling, but like ev- he's like the classic, truly like everything you read about him on Twitter over the past few days, like it's true. He was just that kind of person and also just like something that when I think about Chris, you know, even like my best friends, I wouldn't be above like sending like a Slack message, like, oh, you know, what's the deal with like so-and-so today or whatever. Chris, like, I don't think anyone ever literally, literally ever said a negative word about Chris to me. He would, you would never get like a text or a Slack ever like, man, what's Chris's deal today? Hmm. Like he was just like the most universally beloved, like straight up person you'll ever meet. You talked about his uh, generosity uh, when I was brand new in, in the fantasy space, this is 2012. I mean, I, I was an absolute nobody, more of a nobody than I am today, if, if it's if it's uh, capable of believing. And I reached out to him for a, a piece that I was writing for the New York Times on kind of like, an, you know, obsession with fantasy football. Uh, I didn't expect him to answer. I reached out to several like big name uh, fantasy guys hoping, uh, you know, that I could I could land one or two. And he responded right away, uh, was very nice uh, about, you know, arranging the, the interview. I talked with him for a long time, like way longer than I intended. I really just wanted to talk to him for like 15 minutes, just get my questions off. I know you're a busy guy, but he stayed on with me. We talked about, you know, football, fantasy football, life, the industry in general. Again, so, so generous. I told him, uh, you know, at the time I said, you know, how do you deal with these people who log on? And come back at you and say, your, your advice was terrible. You lost my fantasy game for me. Uh, and he kind of laughed and he said, uh, I, don't, I don't suffer fools. I'm too old for that. And it's true. He did not. He did not suffer fools. He was, like Pat said, a straightforward, uh, sometimes a blunt guy. And I took a lot of lessons away from the way you know he approached fantasy football, most of our interactions was when he was in the fantasy space before, you know, he went on to NFL Network. And I uh, I remember him kind of saying, "It doesn't have to be a hard game. Like you're you're making it harder than it needs to be." You know, when I would ask for advice, uh, and and I, I really try that still guides my approach to analysis and, and to writing. And I it wasn't until this horrible news. Um, that that I sort of realized uh, how much his words way back when, 10 years ago almost, uh, still guided me today. Yeah, D- Denny, just to the suffer no fools thing, he was like the pioneer. I think he might have been like a beta tester of the block feature <laughs> for Twitter. He was like a pioneer of the block. And yeah, I mean, just he, 
like a lot of people like say that they live that way. He just truly, and it, he didn't do it like in a way that he was a jerk. Just like he wasn't going to deal with your crap basically. And because there, he knew there was like not enough time in the world to like put up with this stuff. And so, yeah, he would just, you were an idiot on Twitter blocked and moved on. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it was a a very important lesson. All right. Well, we're all thinking of Chris and his family as we move ahead here today, fellas, we are here to look at what happened in Super Bowl 55. It was of course the bucks 31, the chiefs nine Kansas city's lowest point total since November of 2017. That would be the Alex Smith era. Pat, uh, what happened? First, call it what it, it's Super Bowl LV, Matt. Uh, <laughs> not Super Bowl Fifty Five. Uh, we don't speak in you know actual numbers around here. Uh, we go back. I thought when you said it, I thought when you said it, you said the number, not the letters, and you wrote the letters, not I the number. It's, it's I think true. Matt's right. I think that's yeah. right here. I think I think we're calling it Fifty Five. And but but by the way, you know, Roman numerals offer a, a, a sort of heft to the Super Bowl. You yes. know, it, it it feels uh, like you know a part of history. When you when you use Roman numerals, in fact, I'm going to start using my age as Roman numerals so that I can also be part of history. I love the annual tradition of googling the Roman numeral of that year's Super Bowl <laughs> to confirm what Super Bowl number it is. I, I did that ten times this week just to make sure. I was very confused this night because I knew I thought it was Super Bowl Fifty Five. But then I kept thinking a, d- a different game was Super Bowl Fifty. I can't remember which game. I was thinking. I was kept thinking Bronco Seahawks was Super Bowl Fifty, and I'm like, that was not five years ago. So there's no way this is Super Bowl Fifty Five. This was happening over like one thirty second span, or I was just vegging out, you know, on my computer. And then I remembered that Super Bowl Fifty was Broncos uh, Panthers, but I knew it involved the Broncos. So pointless aside, take this out of the podcast, Matt. All right. Well, thanks to all of you for tuning in. Uh, oh, wait. What are we doing? Wait. What, yeah, what happened, in the, what game, happened in the game was your question, Matt. And uh, I don't really know. So you said the first, you said it was the Chiefs' first double digit loss since uh, 2017. No, this, the, well, I didn't even say the double digit loss fact. Their lowest point total since November of 2017. They had nine in a game that Alex Smith started against the Giants. Well, it was Patrick Mahomes' first double digit loss since 2016 at Texas Tech to Iowa State. <laughs> which I thought was like the goat Cliff Kingsbury fact, by the way. Like, of course, his last double-digit loss was somehow under Cliff Kingsbury to Iowa State, you know, the ninth best Big 12 football program. But, uh, I mean, what ha- I mean, I think a lot of what happened is we, what you saw with your own eyes. I mean, Patrick Mahomes had no time to throw at all. Like, it was not – it's not – it's like normie analysis, but, I mean, that is what happened. He was pressured uh, more times than any quarterback in Super Bowl history – uh, via stat, uh, via Mia, Mina Kimes, or literally took the most pressures in Super Bowl history, 29 of 56 dropbacks, whereas Tom Brady was only pressured on four of 30 dropbacks. So that's, you know, where it starts. Uh, and then the Chiefs, as we, again, as you saw here, they just played terribly. They gave away six first downs via penalty in the first half. And in the Super Bowl, there had never been more than four first downs via penalty for an entire game. Andy Reid choked at the first half, calling those timeouts for Tom Brady. You know, one of the most oft-repeated narratives or memes about Tom Brady is what he does at the end of half. I mean, it's part of his legend. Like, don't let the Patriots, Tom Brady, score before the end of the first half, and they literally called two timeouts for him. Just like, what uh, were you thinking? And, like, right down to the punter that we didn't know existed, to shanking punts, the Chiefs, they just – 
sorry to bring the Normian out. The Chiefs just played terribly, and there's really no other way to say it. Yes, they chose a great time to play their worst possible game on every level. You know, uh, we, we knew going into the game that the offensive line was going to be an issue. And when I was writing my uh, DFS piece for the game, which ended up being just the, the most <laughs> insanely in-depth thing I've ever written, and I didn't mean to, it just happened. I, it ended up being like 8,000 words. And uh, the more I looked into it, the more I thought, this shapes up to be a really, really tough game for the Chiefs because of the offensive line issues and because the Bucks theoretically going into the game were going to get plenty of pressure with four guys rushing, right? And when you're able to keep those seven guys in coverage, it, it changes the dynamic completely from what we saw in week 12 where Todd Bowles was very aggressive with blitzing. I forget the blitz rate, but it was, it was exceptionally high. And on those blitzes, Patrick Mahomes ate up the Tampa secondary and, you know, you get Tyree Hill going for 200 yards and two touchdowns in, in the first quarter, which is still one of the more amazing things I've ever seen in football. You know, so when you're able to, to pressure Mahomes uh, with four guys, that changes everything. I will say that Mahomes' ability to avoid rushers and to sense where they are, and you can see him working as even when he has his back turned to a rusher, you can see he's feeling where the pressure is going to come from. He has that this almost uh, you know sixth sense about a supernatural ability to know where pressures are going to uh, come and and to avoid them, right? And the fact that he couldn't do that last night, the, f- the fact that, that even that ability uh, didn't help him to you know to a victory or even to a touchdown, uh, tells you that no one, no quarterback, could have survived that sort of defensive challenge. The Bucks defense was running incredibly hot going into the game. They continued in that game, and you get this, you know, indescribably bad offensive performance from what what is often looked like, uh, you know, the the greatest offense we've ever seen. Denny, I made the mistake of looking at your Twitter feed, and I saw that amid <laughs> amid rounds of We Golf, you quote tweeted ESPN's Seth Walder that Patrick Mahomes ran a total of 497 yards before his passes and sacks in this game. It was just, and that is the lasting image I feel like of this Super Bowl is Mahomes just running like you know, yeah. running into the backfield like a big wide arc, trying to find something. It was every every play. It seemed like, especially when you know when the game got a little bit out of hand and and everybody knew the pass was coming. Every play was Mahomes retreating like a Tecmo Super Bowl quarterback. <laughs> you know, but, you know, back about 30, 40 yards, just looking looking for any avenue to get back where he could actually face the guy he's trying to throw the ball to, which seems like you know a fairly simple task. And most weeks it is, uh, but not not in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that 497 yards stat before sacks or pass attempts, that was the most in any game all season. So more than like any game for like a Bengals quarterback behind that horrid line before like the Jags number three starter, the most in any game all season. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes is kind of already becoming one of those players where like we can like make excuses for him, you know, and like look for reasons why it wasn't actually Mahomes' fault and why Mahomes was actually amazing last night. But that's just kind of how I feel about still Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Cause like he was going to heroic lengths to extend plays and make something happen. As you saw, I mean, he had maybe two passes that would have been like the greatest completions in NFL history in the second half, especially the one 
They hit off Daryl Williams' face mask in the end zone. That, like, that was an actually impossible throw as he's, like, falling sidearm, and he just doesn't catch it. And that brings me to, like, another narrative for the Chiefs that I kind of, like, thought about all season was that it's hard to believe when you have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey leading your skill core, but they really needed a third weapon. And they had no – there's no consistent check down option. And he targeted last night a staff from Yahoo's Eric Edholm he targeted CEH, Michael Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Darrell Williams, Demarcus Robinson, and Byron, Byron Pringle 22 total times, and they caught nine passes for 64 yards. Oh, like, where is, like, the, you know, the Julian Edelman? Where is, like, the James White? Does someone, like, a, a pressure release valve, someone to take the heat off? Like, it's kind of – it's hard to take the heat off the pass rush. Like, Denny said, when, when no, they're not sending extra blitzers. But, like, they needed some sort of safety valve option, and – I guess Travis Kelsey is kind of that, but they needed like a, a third option badly all season. And that really, really showed up last night. I thought, I feel like uh Hardman getting six targets was not in the game plan or, no. or, or it's, is probably not going to be uh, great for the chiefs offense. If Hardman's getting six and, and the rest of those guys, you said, you know, CEH, the rest, the non Kelsey, non Hill pass catchers getting so many targets just, it could not have been, part of the, what they wanted to do. And, and that was kind of, you know, the genius of, uh, of Todd Bowles and the Tampa defense was taking away the two guys who literally combined for over 50% or I guess right around 50% of the, the target share in, in that offense. They didn't take away Kelsey. I mean, Kelsey produced with garbage time mostly, um, but they, they really took away Hill in a way that, you know, hamstrung the offense. Yeah. Speaking of Hardman, Mahomes overthrew him a couple times. There was the one down the sideline. It would have taken yeah. a perfect throw. But then there was another play to the right where Hardman was pretty open and Mahomes missed him early. Maybe maybe a slightly different game there and maybe a different game, Pat, as you said, if those heroic pass attempts turn to completions. And I think was it Pringle in the back of the end zone, that diving one-handed attempt that they only showed the replay like one time? It was pretty close. It was pretty close. <laughs> I, I was like, wait, are we not going to look at this just just to make sure that it wasn't the greatest play in the history of the league? Yeah, I mean, we're not going to do that. Okay. Some of the things they Zapruder for like 15 minutes, but they had to get you know, yes. to the Doritos 3D commercial, so we could <laughs> take a closer look at that one. Uh, I was also yeah. upset about that. Well, we probably have buried the headline here because. Tampa's running backs carried the ball 28 times and Ronald Jones just obliterated the over on his rushing yardage prop. 12 carries for 61 yards for him, 16 for 89 for Fournette as his playoff renaissance continued. I mean, Pat, you and I were texting a little bit during the game about the Ronald Jones experience. Big win on that one there. Yeah, Ronald Jones in the captain spot. I won millions of dollars playing DFS. Uh yeah, he did hit the over, so that was nice. Um, the Bucks' rushing attack uh, really got to get comfortable, didn't they, uh, since the other team could score zero points. And since they identified three or four defenders, uh, they could just run at at will. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're betting, the overs were nice too. DFS, though, I viewed kind of Ronald Jones as like the Super Bowl DFS life hack, and uh, that did not happen. And I made some lineups with my friend who viewed Harrison Butker, by the way, as the DFS life hack for the Super oh. Bowl. It worked out okay. We didn't win any money. But speaking of the over-unders, something else we texted about, Matt, Tom Brady, 0.5. He didn't want it. He didn't. didn't Did he not? Did he get it? Actually, I don't know. I didn't actually check. I don't no, think he was he four did. for minus two. Four for minus two. He had that one where it was the most obvious Brady sneak spot ever. 
and he didn't take it. Yeah, and they gave it to Rojo, right? He ran to a brick wall. There's another thing. I'm kind of sure he scored and just like maybe call it a touchdown. But then on replay, you couldn't tell what the heck was going on at all. So I, 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 the right- I was shocked that it was like, you know, the the refs were like, no, he definitely didn't score. I'm I like, no, I, I, are you positive? Because I'm, you know, oh, yes, I do have a lot of Ronald Jones exposure and this could help me. But are you sure? Because it really looks extremely close. You know, the, the Ronald Jones DFS thing was just... Uh, was like the the most obvious galaxy brain uh, thing, you know, to say, say, I'm not going with Fournette. I'm not going with the guy who's been producing all the points in that Tampa backfield. I'm going with Ronald Jones because I'm stubborn and I'm smarter than you. And that's what I did, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and then Fournette rushes for that touchdown. Ah, well, nevertheless. My, my logic was that, you know, I didn't count on the Kansas City Chiefs scoring nine points. Uh, wasn't really... Right. Right. in the game plan in the playbook and i'm like the bucks are gonna need explosive runs because the chiefs run defense is the weakness and ronald jones is where you get the explosive runs instead leonard Fournette looks like he's at back at lsu and like it probably was his best game as a buck last night uh he was actually like catching passes and stride too like just exposing everyone who has truthed him all season yeah, it was probably Leonard Fournette's best game. Yeah, I I, I want to say you know congratulations in advance to Leonard Fournette who's going to sign a huge multi-year contract with the Jets next month. So <laughs> congratulations. Uh, yeah, Matt, I don't know if you had a transition plan. That wasn't gonna be my next trend. Like with the Bucks, you know, the free agents for these teams, the Bucks, Chris Godwin, Antonio. You're hosting. Brown. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> Leonard Fournette and just how will this t- Rob Gronkowski how will this team look different next year this isn't even fun to talk about so I shouldn't have made the the I'm the best Sieg expert on the pod now joke but I did it anyway <laughs> okay well if you want to talk about how the team's going to look like next year there was a report th- this morning uh, Monday morning that uh, the Bucks want Fournette back and it seems like something that could work but I don't think the Bucks are in a position where they have to have him back I also don't think that Bruce Arians is ever going to be a guy who just says, uh, Ronald Jones, this is your backfield. So whatever happens, Jones is signed through next season. Uh, so whatever happens with, with that backfield, I don't, let's not anticipate Ronald Jones as like the clear number one. It'll probably be, it'll probably be a 1A, 1B situation with whoever they bring in, whether it's Fournette or someone else in free agency or a rookie. I think that's what we'll see again next year. Resigning right. Leonard Fournette feels like it would be a kind of like hitting on 17 to me. And then I will turn hosting duders uh, back over to Matt since uh, he probably actually had some actually good seeds planned. No, I was just going to say, I, I would, like you're saying, hitting on 17, I would be very careful how you invest in Leonard Fournette. I'm old enough to remember how bad he looked in the middle of this season. And <laughs> it just feels like the guy got hot for a stretch. And I think investing in him would be bananas. But what do I know? Yeah, I mean, no, does Fournette. Just, like I said, he was catching passes in stride. He was like trucking people over. It was like the game we had been waiting for since 2017 with Leonard Fournette and gotten like twice ever. And the fact that it came in the Super Bowl probably did uh, dramatically increase his odds of getting paid, uh, whether it's by the Bucks or someone else. Well, I think we should just take a second here before we get out of here to just talk about spin this forward for the Chiefs a little bit. I mean, it feels like such an easy one-off thing I mean to call this a one-off to call this a fluke you know Mahomes also didn't look fully healthy he somehow looked almost worse on that foot than he did did. in the AFC title game after two weeks I don't know if you guys had the same impression but 
it feels like you can just kind of chalk this up to offensive line issues that they'll probably shore up and Mahomes will come into next season fully healthy and the Chiefs are back doing what the Chiefs do. It's easy to like doom say, yeah, but I agree that uh, it's probably Chiefs are still very well set up. It was weird with the toe. I'm glad you made that point. I thought he did look less healthy and he definitely looked like someone validating reports that he might need surgery yeah. after the offseason because yeah, he was tentative. Probably a few other spots where he could have rushed for a first down too instead of just like spinning out of the pressure and just a little more tentative as a rusher. And I mean, you can see him limping um, several times. So the Chiefs do have some obvious issues. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they had won 25 of 26 games and had never, quite literally, never lost a game by double digits with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it's probably, uh, probably best not to get too in the weeds, like worrying, quote unquote, about the Chiefs. I think they'll be perfectly fine uh in 2021 uh Mahomes was not right and I think that when with the combination of Tampa being able to pressure him so easily with four guys and he wasn't you know as mobile as usual uh although he did make a couple nice runs and then followed by uh gimpy you know walks back to the huddle where you're like wait is he okay and some somehow he would be fine uh but those two things combined I think were a recipe for disaster for the Chiefs offense in general. I was thinking fantasy-wise, because that's where my brain always goes. There's a possibility that, you know, the last time for us seeing Mahomes could color the way he's perceived in July and August drafts. Uh, I'm not saying that he's going to drop by a bunch, but I, I think, you know, being able to see that he is he is mortal, that the Chiefs offense can be had, like it, like it was so, you know, terribly <laughs> in the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I think that that might weigh on his, you know, valuation a bit, a bit going into next season. There's gonna be people trying to galaxy brain Josh Allen or Kyler Murray into the number one overall slot. There will be valid arguments for that, but I do think Patrick Mahomes should still be easily treated as the QB one in fantasy. All right, Pat, Denny, thanks, guys. We're going to be joined coming up in just a minute by Thor to talk some NFL draft. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, we're joined by Thor Nystrom, lead college football writer and NFL draft analyst around these parts. Thor's going to be here along with me and Hayden Winks every week doing draft coverage, previewing what to watch for 
as the draft approaches. He is, I do believe, still basking in the glory of 2011 number 10 overall pick Blaine Gabbert finally getting a Super Bowl ring. Thor, how's it going, man? It's going well. Pleasure to be here, Matt. Yeah, it, it, big time for uh, for Blaine Gabbert. That was the story of yesterday, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's get into some of these draft season storylines. Uh, first things first, Thor, there are changes to the draft format due to COVID-19. Can you can you quickly take us through what those changes are? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest one has to, well, I mean, the biggest one has to do with the combine, but that sort of uh, delves into the, the amendments that are going to be uh, done to the pro days. Um, you know, in, in past years, you would have everyone from the media to the prospects to, you know, the, the personnel guys, the scouts, the coaches, everyone would descend upon Indianapolis. That's not going to happen in the same way this year for the NFL combine. This year, the the tests are going to be done at the school sites during the pro day. The medical exams are going to be done. The initial ones are going to be done near the players' home schools. Um, and then there's going to be some like... Um, virtual you know interviews back and forth between the players and the medical staffs potentially even the players doctors and the medical staffs and then uh, players that need to be rechecked they will all be called back in in april early april i think is what the nfl's memo said um so that will be one time where the nfl does sort of call in a group of people prior to the draft but outside of that there isn't going to be any of that this year so we will have the medical recheck process but not much more than that and one really interesting thing to see about this, you know, as, as far as the amendments to this go, I'm not sure if it'll matter so much, you know, the changes, for instance, to the uh, the interview process or the, um, you know, the battery of psychological tests, whereas before you would be sitting in a room, now you're going to be doing it over Skype, you know, or Zoom. I'm not sure that that's going to be the biggest deal, but I, I think it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on the uniformity of tests. Um, the NFL put in their memo that they wanted the schools to each keep an eye on that and, and try to make sure that the, the testing was fair. So, you know, of course, because they want the NFL teams to be able to apples to apples compare the testing, you know, and, and of course, me being in the media, you know, and, and ranking these players, I want to be able to do the same, you know, because you want what, a 40 time that's done at, at Northwestern to be the same as a 40 time done at, at Auburn. Um, but the funny thing about that is, you know, in the past, well, we have gotten uniform times, of course, at the combine because everyone's running on the same day at the same track by the same people that are timing them, the same mechanisms that are timing them um, this year, doing it at the pro day. In the past, we have had all kinds of uh, shady pro day numbers, um, as people know. And so it's going to be interesting to see, does the NFL have to, to send someone there? You know, like, you know, they, the, the Guinness Book of World Records people always send someone to, to an event to like authenticate it. Like, do, do we have to have someone there that's making sure that, you know, all the times are, you know, done correctly or in, in some uniform way? I think that's the thing to keep an eye on as far as, as sort of the mechanisms of that during the pre-draft process. But those are going to be the changes themselves. So basically, it sounds like we're going to have to take 40 times with a grain of salt more than ever before this year. Potentially, but it's it's tough because that you know when you talk about players' athletic profiles and stuff like that, their athleticism against their size. That's one obviously that's one of the most important, as you know, it's one of the most important things of of their draft profile in conjunction with uh, specifically their last year of tape. And so if you know if if there's any sort of question about the validity or the 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 veracity of those numbers, you know it can throw into into question the the entirety of the athletic profile. So you know hopefully they can like I said hopefully they the NFL can do something to guarantee that there's there's a uniformity of some sort between the tests between the schools. All right, let's take a minute here to quickly preview some player specific storylines to watch for as we head into draft season. First up, Thor, how will the quarterback movement around the league? 
pre-draft affect the draft itself? Yeah, that, and that's a really interesting question because we've already seen the dominoes start to fall. And this could be, uh, you know, at least in terms of recent NFL history, could be something of a historic pre-draft process in terms of, of starting quarterback movement around the league. Obviously, we already saw Matthew Stafford traded from the Lions to the Rams for a third-round pick in this class, a first-round pick in the next two classes, um, as well as, as Jared Goff. Um, so that was two starting quarterbacks sort of flipping spots. And then you have the retirement news of, of Philip Rivers. You have the impending retirement of Drew Brees. You know, of course, Matt Ryan and Big Ben and Tom Brady are always near uh, retirement. Those teams have to also think towards the future as well. The Pats have a ton of cap space and look to be done with Cam Newton. Um, Trubisky's a free agent. And the Bears are obviously looking uh, for a quarterback as well. We've seen them in, in trade rumors with Deshaun Watson and with Carson Wentz, stuff like that. Wentz is one of those quarterbacks, uh, potentially starting caliber quarterback, who is available in the trade block right now. But as you know, there's plenty more. Uh, Deshaun Watson being the big fish. Um, other ones that we've heard uh, just sort of bandied about, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Sam Darnold. Kirk Cousins came up when Jimmy G was being bandied about, you know, as a potential fit with the 49ers. And Teddy Bridgewater's name was just thrown out there as well. Um, Adam Schefter reported that Carolina had offered the Lions, I believe, the eighth pick overall, as well as Bridgewater, and I think a fourth uh, for Stafford. And the Lions elected to go with the Rams' offer instead. You know, it's clear that the the Panthers are looking for an upgrade or looking to do something else at quarterback, whether that's making a trade in, in advance, a trade, whether they try something else, whether for Deshaun Watson or one of these other guys, or whether potentially they're looking to use their top 10 pick on a quarterback. So that that's the kind of stuff, you know, when we're doing these mock drafts here, um, you know, over the next couple of months, you know, so, some of these dominoes won't have fallen yet, you know, and, and so these are like enormous things that are obviously going to affect the way the entire draft plays out so these are big things to keep an eye on here as we go forward in the next month month and a half all right well as we look to the draft and as we look to round one how many quarterbacks do you think ultimately will go in round one in what order and please feel free as part of this answer to tell me that justin fields goes to my hometown atlanta falcons <laughs> that would be fun uh i i mean if, if i was a team that was sitting you know outside of the the jacksonville slot you know i needed a quarterback that justin fields would be the guy that that i would want certainly um, I think the over-under, I, I don't. I actually don't know what it is in Vegas right now, but if Thorne Eichstrom is setting the over-under, I would have to set it at five flat. I don't think you could go to five and a half, although maybe Vegas will have to um, just because you always in, inflate the quarterback stuff. But you obviously have the big four, uh, Lawrence, Lance, Fields, uh, Zach Wilson, and then you have Mac Jones, who I think is in a, a tier all to himself, and then Kyle Trask seems to be in the third tier all to himself. And so Mac Jones looks like he's rallied to the point where at this point, it appears that he's a first round guy. Um, but we've seen in years past guys like Mac Jones tend to fall as you get closer to the draft process because his natural tools aren't there, right? Like, you know, he's, he's not a guy who's going to be able to, to win outside of the pocket. He doesn't have the howitzer arm. And so those are guys typically going into the draft class that have just come off of enormous seasons um, where their stocks a bit higher. And then we can see that, you know, sort of dissipate a little bit as guys like Trey Lance, who only played one game this past season, as those guys start to rise, et cetera. Um, but we'll have to see if, if Mac Jones solidifies his spot in there. And then Trask is another guy. Obviously, he put up bazooka numbers as well this year, um, but he had an awesome supporting cast. And then we saw in the bowl game um, when they had all the opt-outs Florida did with Kyle Pitts opted out, Trevon Grimes opted out, Tony opted out. They had, Florida had a bunch of opt-outs. 
and Kyle Trask in the first half of that game looked lost. They had to bring in Emory Jones, um, their, their backup quarterback, to essentially finish that game and platoon with Trask. So it's going to be interesting, you know, whether NFL teams start to view Trask as a guy who needs, you know, an elite supporting cast or whether he is a guy who is sort of an elite facilitator um, of the ball to his his supporting cast. Um, that's sort of going to be the delineation line between him being potentially a late first round pick or just sort of a day two guy. So I'm setting the over-under at, at five. Vegas might set it at, at five and a half, but I, I think that's probably where you'd be going right now. And Lawrence is going to be the first one. The, the fight for number two right now is between Fields and, and Wilson. That thing's going to be a dogfight until the very bitter end, I, I think. And Lance there is, you know, he's just sort of waiting around right now. But Lance is, he's definitely the wild card. You know, and he's the, the kind of kid that it just takes one team you know, and we've seen prospects with um, sort of these, uh, I guess you would call them high variance type quarterback prospects who have gone higher than people have anticipated heading in in, in the past. Some of them have worked out. Um, some of them haven't. But an example of, of one that did play in the Super Bowl last night, Patrick Mahomes, people didn't think he was going to go as high as he did to the Chiefs uh, back in the day. Obviously, he was a prospect with a ton of variance and he hit. The Chiefs at that time, they took him over to Sean Watson, you know, and, and at the time that was crazy. You know, the Chiefs had traded up to take Patrick Mahomes over Watson. So, again, it just takes one. So th there is a shot that Lance could eventually usurp one of the, you know, one of the two guys above him. But right now, that's sort of what the hierarchy looks like. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how high Trey Lance can go. And wanted to ask you, Thor, if Vegas does set that over under at five and a half, which are you taking? If it was five and a half, I would go the under. Just because for me, I, I struggle personally to see a scenario where Trask gets in. I, I struggle to see a scenario where an NFL team, you know, in, in the late first round or uh, a team, you know, that's sitting high in the second round that is, has missed out on their opportunity for a first round quarterback trades back in uh, to take him. I personally do not see Trask as a first round quarterback. And I also struggle with with Mac Jones to go just a little bit further. For me, there's there's four sure things. Um, I'm going to be thinking about Mac Jones for a little while here and breaking down more of his tape. But for me, I, I would go the under on on that number. For me, the, the more fair number would be five and force the push at, at five. But at five and a half, I would be going under. All right. Quickly want to transition now to one of the more prominent pass catchers in this class, and that would be Devontae Smith. Of course, how high, Thor, can a six foot one, 174-pound wide receiver without blazing speed go in this draft? It's a, it's a fascinating question, right? Like, th there's a couple guys in this class that have sort of unprecedented profiles for where they're going to end up going. Um, and we're not just talking, I mean, some of them have to do with opt-outs that led to sort of inexperience. Like we just mentioned one, Trey Lance. Uh, Trey Lance has 14 career starts in the FCS. 14 careers. And I, I don't think he ever started against an FBS team, although he, he did play in his first game against Iowa um, and ended up upsetting them in Kinnick. But, I mean, you're talking about a historical lack of experience. I mean, you just don't see quarterbacks go in the top 10 that had 14 you know, career starts in, in the FCS. And going back to Devonta Smith, like – a guy who is that slight and does not have burner speed because he's, he's got good speed, but he is not a, you know, a high, high end burner. Um, and he's a solid athlete, but he's not an elite athlete. Um, so for a guy like that to go, he could go as high as third to answer your question. So it's going to be, can he get that high? I think he's going to have to have a really good draft process um, and at least test pretty solidly. Well, 
Um, you know, I, I think like uh, a guy like C.D. Lamb, I think would be a, an interesting sort of analogous uh, sort of prospect to look back on, at least in terms of this, where um, last year there was some questions about C.D. in terms of how slight he was built and some questions heading into the pre-draft process about how he would test. Um, it turned out those questions were unfair. C.D. Lamb went went to the combine and he tested really well. If Devonta does the same sort of a thing and tests well, tests better than people think, I think that's where he locks himself in into the top 10. If he doesn't test as well, there's talk that he could potentially run in the four or five. Um, if he struggles with some of the other drills with, you know, a, a high four, four or a low four or five time, I think that's where you potentially see a, a potential drop. And I, I wouldn't put it out of the, the realm of possibility that, again, if he does, str- th- this is only under the possibility, the hypothetical that, that Smith struggled during his pre-draft process. But if he does, he could fall out of the top 10. That That is absolutely an in-place scenario. Jerry Judy last year, um, you know, at this time last year, everyone thought he was a lock top 10 pick. Everyone and their mother thought Jerry Judy is a top 10 uh, lock. And obviously he didn't end up going there. Devonta, because he you don't see that sort of explosive athleticism on film, he has even less margin for error to work with during this pre-draft process. So um, he's a guy that his pre-draft process is going to be very fascinating to watch, even though we have so much game film on that guy. He, I mean, he did about as much as as you'd want any, you know, to see any receive. He, he, he has submitted about as much to the NFL in terms of tape, obviously in terms of statistical production as, as any receiver who's come in here in the last five, six years. So it, it's just going to be about, again, can he assuage the NFL's concerns about the size athleticism dichotomy by at least answering some of those questions on the athleticism side of it? Because obviously he's not going to wake up tomorrow and have larger bones, you know? <laughs> Not likely anyways. Not likely. One more storyline to hit here, Thor, before we get out of here. We're obviously coming off a college football season unlike any other. How much will the 2020 opt-outs see their draft stock potentially take a hit? I think this is a case-specific thing, um, but this is this is another really interesting thing to watch during the pre-draft process because we haven't seen this before. You know, typically in the past when you had situations where kids miss the entirety of their last season, it either hasn't gone well for them in the draft or it hasn't gone well for them in their NFL career. I mean, like, you know, your brain sort of flashes immediately to like, you know, the Mike Williams is and the, the Maurice Clarets and, and stuff like that. Obviously, this situation was different and you take nothing away from these kids for looking after their health and their personal situations by opting out. Um, but that said, you know, the, the most important uh, piece of information that you submit to the NFL during this job interview process of the pre-draft process is your final year of film. And these guys don't have it. Right. And so, you, I mean, you have the big kids like, you know, Penny Sewell from from Oregon, the tackle. You have Micah Parsons, the Penn State linebacker, Gregory Rousseau, the edge from Miami, Jamar Chase, uh, Rashawn Slater, Caleb Farley, the the cornerback from Virginia Tech. Um, and Trey Lance, the quarterback from NDSU, I, I just mentioned, he, Lance played one game this past season, then opted out. Um, NDSU is going to play a spring season. Um, Lance opted out from preparing for that. But the guys I just mentioned are likely to be first rounders. Most of those guys, I don't think it affected them that much just because they were in that sort of phylum and they didn't lose anything. Like a couple of those guys, I thought there was a shot that they could be usurped in their position that they were in like Rousseau, for instance, you know, that he, he had only had one year of that elite production. Um, he's a young kid. And in, in high school, he played different positions. Like he was a wide receiver and a safety in high school. And so it's crazy. He comes in and he has this, you know, ridiculously long frame and he had a crap ton of sacks his, his first year at Miami 
um, and then he opts out. Well, some of that production for sure was smoke and mirrors. And so people wanted him to come back and prove it again. Well, you know, he opts out. And so people are like, well, you know, uh, you know, he, he might get passed by a couple of these other edge rushers coming up. Well, it just didn't happen. Right. Like you don't have other edge rushers when you look around the class, even having submitted the, the final year of tape where you can compare their ceiling to a guy like Russo. And, it, and it's sort of the same thing with Micah Parsons. There's no linebacker when you're comparing him to the other guys in this class. There's no guy where you can say that, that he's even comparable in, in terms of ceiling and, and heck, even floor with Parsons. And some of the guys that had a shot like um, Dylan Moses. You know, he, he was a guy coming off of injury from Alabama. You thought maybe he had a shot if he had a great season um, to maybe rally up and, and challenge Parsons. Dylan Moses is a pretty terrible coming off of injury. Every every aspect of his game outside of coverage regressed this year. So his, his stock is for sure down going into draft season. He created, I mean, Micah Parsons created even more of a buffer between him and, and for instance, Dylan Moses just by not playing. So, so those are guys that I don't think it affected them that much, the guys that were already up there. But there are some guys that I do think it potentially hurt. And these are guys I think it's more incumbent to pay attention to their their pre-draft process. Jamie Newman, the quarterback from Wake Forest in Georgia, is a big one. You know, he had been at, at Wake Forest. He transferred to Georgia as a grad and was going to be their starter this past season. And then he ended up opting out. I think, you know, that hurt him. Coming into the season, he was looked at as one of the top sort of tier two guys behind that that group of four that I, I just mentioned. Um, so he was seen as even above sort of like the Mac Jones and Trask by a lot of folks. And, you know, he has now for sure been passed by those guys. And I think some would argue he's even been passed by a couple more guys. So whereas Jamie Newman coming into the season may have been viewed as a second round type prospect, now it might be more like fourth, fifth, sixth. Um, you know, we'll just have to see again how, how his draft process goes. Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis put up huge numbers two years ago, didn't play this past year. It's going to be really interesting to see how he does as well. Running backs in Memphis's system always put up numbers. So it's going to be interesting. You have this one-year wonder. How's the NFL going to look at him in comparison to some of these other running backs that have come out of that system? Nico Collins from Michigan. You know, he, he's a guy that can get downfield, straight-line athlete, but struggles to separate. And again, we don't have his last year tape. Another guy like that is Sage Sherratt from Wake Forest, another opt-out. Um, these separation guys, um, not having that last year of tape, you you just would have liked to see them work on their routes more, try to get a little bit more crafty and stuff like that. Um, but there's more guys, you know, Jalen Twyman from Pitt, you know, is, is an interesting uh, interior defensive lineman. Some people have comped to Aaron Donald, um, Jay Tufel from from USC, uh, Tay Gowans, a long outside corner from UCF, Paulson Adebo, a long outside corner from Stanford. Uh, Oregon's Thomas Graham, a, a slot cornerback. You go on and on. Ambry Thomas from Michigan. I mean, th there's just so many kids that, that opted out that are now in this class. And again, you're nearing unprecedented. Well, you're not nearing unprecedented territory. You're in unprecedented territory. We've never had this many kids in a class where we didn't have their final year of tape. So it's it's going to be a really fascinating process. And in conjunction with that, we don't have the combine where we can all sort of you know go there and and be there in person and watch these kids. So again, you know, it's 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 going to be a more virtual experience this year. It's going to be a time where we all have to sit down and do our our homework and go a little bit extra, go a little bit further because there's not as much information and there's not as much access to information during the pre-draft process. Um, so it's, you know, whether that's the people in the media, whether that's people, you know, in the NFL, et cetera, um, everyone's just going to have to dig a little bit deeper during this draft process. I think it's going to be fascinating. I, I think this is going to be one of the most, well, last year was a fascinating draft and I thought one of the most fascinating ever. I think this one's going to be more fascinating than last year's draft. Well, I did not think that we were going to get some Maurice Claret 
nostalgia on the show here today, <laughs> Thor, but I am all for anything that takes me back to another time, to the early 2000s. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> the right, you can follow him at Thor Koo, T-H-O-R-K-U, on Twitter. His work can be found in the NFL draft section at Roto World, and he's going to be here with us leading up to the draft every week. Coming up on future draft episodes, we'll have position-by-position position previews, division-by-division division breakdowns, and some mock drafts coming your way. Thor, thanks for taking the time, man. Awesome to be here, brother. That's going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Thanks to Thor, Pat, and Denny for being here today. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will see you back here on Thursday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.